Hello and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And today we're going to continue our series. This will be part three of our series on Marxism. And I think we need to pause to um, to listen to some of the, the pushback that Marxists would give. Um, and the two main pushback that I often see on you know, on social media or uh, in, in these sorts of debates is, for one thing, that wasn't true Marxism, or what about socialist countries? So let's look at that briefly, and then I want to go deeply into the scriptural critique of, of Marxism, making the case that Marxism is not a Christian idea, and uh, then further into a social critique of Marxism. So first of all, people will say, well, that wasn't true Marxism. I mean, if you look at the Communist Manifesto, how it was supposed to work out, um, it all looks so great on paper. So the only problem is that the Bolsheviks, um, this people group, the Bolsheviks that caused the Bolshevik revolution, um, they contaminated Marxism from the get-go. And so that's what led to the slaughter of, of the non-Bolshevik people and, and uh, the Slavs and, and the Armenians, essentially, or eventually. Um, it was their fault. And it was Stalin. I mean, he was such a monster. Uh, and Chairman Mao, you know, he, he just did it wrong. Um, Marxism is good. It's just it wasn't applied well. And uh, I saw um, a video clip by um, Jordan Peterson that I think just really crystallized this. So here's something fun. Uh, I was just Googling for um, the actual YouTube clip so that I could show it, so I could tell you to look for it. And it says um, in the description, license, Creative Commons attribute license, reuse allowed. So I'm just going to play it for you, and uh, I'm like 99.9% sure that there's no copyright issues because it says reuse allowed. So, and I'm sure Jordan Peterson would love to have this information disseminated. So, and it's less than 10% of his full talk. So I am now, now that I think more about it, 100% sure I can do this legally. So listen to what Jordan Peterson has to say to um, the objection that isn't true Marxism or that isn't true socialism. And then when the Marxists say, well, that wasn't real Marxism, what it really means, and I've thought about this for a long time, it's the most arrogant possible statement anyone could ever make. It means if I would have been in Stalin's position, I would have ushered in the damn utopia instead of, instead of the genocidal massacres because I understand the doctrine of Marxism and everything about me is good. It's like, well, think again, sunshine. You don't understand it. You don't understand it. And you're not that good. And if the power was in your hands, assuming you have the competence, which you don't, you wouldn't have done any better. And even if you had, there would have been someone else waiting right behind you to shoot you the first time you actually tried to do anything good. And that's what happened to all the old guard who ran the damn revolution. Stalin rounded them all up and shot them along with their families and millions of other people. So even if you do happen to be that avatar of moral purity that you claim implicitly, the probability that you get to act out your goodness in relationship to those possessed by your ideology is zero. So, obviously that was dropping into the middle of his discussion and he's quite worked up. Um, and uh, maybe that... I'm not sure if that comes across in the audio, but watching him, it's like he's vibrating with energy. And, um, you know, 
the only reason you can study Marxism without vibrating with <laughs> with energy, you know, with hatred towards the doctrine is if you haven't studied it deeply or if you've only studied one side of it or if you truly believe, well, that wasn't true Marxism, you know. Like, it is so wicked what happened. Like, how can you not? Anyways, um, but the argument that he makes is that, look, that's an arrogant thing to say. Why would you think that you know better? I mean, it had 70 years in Russia to be applied. It has had um, upwards to 50 years in China. It's been tried in countless countries around the world. With predictable, with the same results happening over and over. What makes you think that you're so special that you would get it right? It's very self-congratulatory to think, well, if I had the power... As we mentioned in the previous podcast, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You really think that if you had all the power over everybody's lives to the point of knowing what they were saying in their own home and being able to have a pretty good idea what the sorts of things they were thinking and you had the power and authority that you could take people out of their homes away from their families and send them off to prison camps, anybody that dissented from you having absolute power. You think if you had that sort of power at your disposal that you wouldn't turn bad, that you wouldn't use it for evil, that you wouldn't use it, that you wouldn't pursue what you thought was good, but in an evil way. It's very naive to think that, um, as Peterson said, that you think that you won't be shot in the back by somebody else. Like if, if there's multiple people that are all running this party, if there's multiple people that are part of this bloody revolution to bring in Marxism, what makes you think that A, you won't become a monster in the process, or B, there might be a monster behind you, such as Stalin, that would round up all the good guys and shoot them and then make Marxism go into this predictable direction of totalitarian governments uh, with dictators for life that uh, force their people to give up their possessions uh, don't let them leave, control them, micromanage them, and um, have invasive uh, policies that control their lives. And most importantly, it's far too convenient. Look, if Christianity has to answer for 100 or 1.7 million people that died almost a thousand years ago in the Crusades, why doesn't Marxism have to answer for 100 million people that died last century? You know, many of them dying as recently as 50, 60 years ago, these things happen. Why does Marxism get this pass? And why is this, oh, that wasn't true Marxism, answer, get Marxism off the hook. It's just far too convenient as far as I'm concerned. The second main objection that often gets batted, batted around is, well, what about socialist countries? I've got a list here of uh, the 10 most socialist countries in the world are... China, Denmark, Finland, Netherlands, China, uh, Canada, Sweden, Norway, Ireland, New Zealand, and Belgium. So according, uh, according to this random website, um, these are supposed to be the 10 most um, socialist countries in the world. Um, and I've seen similar lists to this. Uh, certainly heard that Canada is very socialist. And I have seen it used as, look, Marxism is good. Look at Canada. It's the fifth best country in the world to live in, their economy is doing great, uh, everybody's happy, we all get along wonderfully. 
Um, so I just happen to be a Canadian, so I can speak to this. So as a Canadian, I would argue, well, we're, we're going to come back to this. This is going to become a fairly important point in the, when we talk about neo-Marxism. That Marxism gets credited for things that it has no right crediting. That it, it How should I phrase this? Um, it gets the credit for things that it didn't do. And uh, if you look at the history of, you know, why there's such a benevolent government in Canada, it has a lot to do with a lot of actually Christian reformers, um, you know, social reformers that were care that cared about social justice. A lot of people from you know the United Church and the Anglican Church and the Methodist Church back in the, you know, early nineteen hundreds, and um, you know they they. They pushed for labor reforms. They pushed for union rights. They pushed for equal pay. Uh, women actually had um, minimum wage before men, 10 years before men uh, in, in Manitoba, in one of our provinces, uh, in the mid, what was it, the, like the 50s or something like that. Um, this was not from some Marxist party that, you know, took over and, you know, had this bloody revolution or something. You know, people might have been influenced by Marx. They might have had, you know, some influence of, of Marxism in the whole mix of their ideas. Uh, and it was actually the New Democratic Party, which is, you know, has a Marxist uh, underpinning that, that pushed some of these things originally. But Canada is not a Marxist country. We have a free market economy. We have freedom of the press. We have a democratically elected uh, prime minister. Um, this is not a Marxist country yet. And uh, I am very concerned about some of the things that I see coming in. The New Democratic Party as as our traditional power bases of the Conservatives and Liberals have been kind of weak. Uh, the New Democratic Party has been coming in as, um, as a third voice, a third power that has been rising um, due to the lack of power of the others and also because you know, a new generation of young people is coming through university and university students tend to be excited about Marxism. It always has been that way because it looks good on paper and they don't have possessions yet very much. And so it seems like a great idea for everybody to give me money, pay off my student loans, let me stay home with my kids and to hell with the world. Um, and so I am concerned about Marxism coming in, but up to this point, it's not a Marxist country. What we have is a country that has a far larger... so safety net than, for example, the United States. Uh, we do have universal health care, which works an awful lot better than Obamacare, as far as I can tell. Um, but we And we do have high taxation, which does redistribute wealth to some extent. But uh, where I would see us moving across the line, and I have seen this, you know, as something that's floated as an idea in political discussions. I was having a discussion on Facebook with somebody that um, that I had some acquaintance with, and and she's a recent graduate from university, and and um, you know we're we're friends, and we got to talking about politics. This was a few years back. The details are a bit fuzzy, but what came across loud and clear was that what she really wanted was people ought to give her money so that she could stay home with her kids, and after all, people that are rich don't deserve their money. They ought to give it to people that are poor. Well, hold on a second. What do you mean they don't deserve their money? Well, the reason that they're rich is because they've exploited people. Oh, so now we're back to Rousseau. 
you know, this this idea that was that's been in the water for you know two hundred and fifty years since Rousseau wrote his confessions now comes out on Facebook that the reason people are rich is because they've exploited people. Um, the Parti Québécois, uh, the Quebec Party is I have to get this right. Sorry, the uh, Quebec Solidaire Party, uh, Solitary Quebec, Sol- Solidarity of Quebec. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that. Um, they're the the political party that actually won um, the provincial election in my area. So I am under this government, although uh, the whole province is, is led by um, a different party that escapes my mind at the moment. But Quebec Solidaire is... Ex- Explicitly, um, a Marxist party. Their uh, their description here on Wikipedia is: Quebec Solidaire is a democratic, socialist, and social democratic and sovereigntist political party in Quebec, Canada. Um, and something that was pointed out to me on social media, somebody highlighted part of their platform as the elections were running, that they want to take um, have a cap on how much money you're allowed to give in your inheritance to your children. And as part of the explanation and the rationale for that, they said it's, you know, this is to prevent unfair advantages of the rich to their children. That, um, you know, so-and-so Mr. Rich person can't just give their children an inheritance of $3 million because that means that then they can go to the best law schools and they can become the next generation of bourgeoisie, Right. So the government's going to swoop in and say, no, the max you can give your kids, and they didn't specify what the max was. They just said, you know, beyond the the ultra-rich, but who defines what the ultra-rich is? Under the communist government and during their takeover, they go into a town full of peasants and kill the guy that had three cows and take his cows away because he was the bourgeoisie in that situation. Um, So how you define wealth is very relative, right? According to most people in the world, if we just took everybody, uh, took a census of how much money everybody in the world makes, every single person in Canada is part of the, you know, the 3% of the most wealthy people. So, you know, that's a scary thing to not precise, not make that precise. Um, but their idea, the, the central core of their idea is that this idea from Rousseau that people are rich because they've profited from somebody else. And as I was discussing this with a friend that posted it, I was like, yeah, this is crazy. Like, how can they do this? I hope this party doesn't win. I might have to leave (laughs) because like, I'm not rich, but I would have something to pass on, including life insurance to my kids if I died. Um, What a terrible outcome that would be if, you know, I've set money aside and, and worked my whole life to provide for my kids. And then after I'm gone, the government swoops in and takes that money because it's not fair and they give it to somebody who hasn't worked and hasn't provided for their kids. Um, and and somebody jumped into this discussion and debated with me and said, look, the only reason that people are rich, are ultra rich, is because they've exploited somebody else. So again, Canada is not a Marxist country. You can't use Canada as a success story for Marxism. What you can do is look at Canada and say, look at that. They have great social projects. They have high taxes, which mean they have free libraries, they have free health care, they have, you know, good roads, they have, um, you know, social services like that. This is great. This is perhaps something they have, um, you know, they give a lot of money back to, kids, to people that have kids, um, 
Canada allows for uh, a very long maternal leave. I think it's uh, six months that a woman can take off work and have something like 75% of her wages covered, depending on which province you're in, 65 to 75. Um, and so a lot of our friends do that, and we've done that as well. Um, and we benefit from that. And we think I think that that's great. I think it's crazy. I think it's insane that in the United States, you only get like two weeks off uh, after you give birth. Like, what if it's a traumatic birth? And what about that that critical stage of bonding with your child? Isn't that important? Don't we care about that? Um, and why wouldn't we... Um, find a way to uh, help out young families at that critical juncture when their kids are young um, and you know find a way to redistribute a little bit of wealth so that young families have more during that crucial stage of their life so that the children can grow up more healthy, have better nutrition, have more time with their parents, take the pressure off the family during that crunch time. And then later on in life, you know the family the you know the taxes go up a little bit as you have less descendant detent dependence uh same number of descendants but less dependents um and then you end up paying more taxes and kind of paying the system back i i think that that's that's a reasonable system but it's a very capitalist system um it's capitalism with you know social concern tagged onto it and i don't think that we should think that anytime there's there's a talk about a safety net or there's talk about redistribution of wealth or there's talk about caring for the poor <clears throat> that this is Marxist because actually, <clears throat> and even, even talk about classes and class struggle and uh, the rights of the working class. I mean, people, people have been talking about this since before Socrates. Um, this is something that is an ancient problem and people have ancient solutions for them and very good and very workable solutions. And what, what has happened is that Marxism has come in as kind of this dominant voice of, of, a way to help the poor, a way that actually doesn't work because they've killed more people in the last, more poor people in the last hundred years than, you know, all pretty sure, well, anyways, than, than anybody else. I mean, they win. They will win the bloody star, the gold star of, of massacres. They're, they're not helping the poor, but they've become known as the voice of helping the poor and they get credit for things that other people have done. And we're going to see this with when we talk about neo-Marxism and um, how it's applied to social issues is that, you know, Martin Luther King was not a Marxist. He was a Christian. And yet today, the way that the story gets spun, it's almost as though Marxism gets credit for the wonderful achievements that that uh, people like Martin Luther King did and, and paid a terrible price uh, with his own life for his things. So I would say um, that Canada is not Marxist. It can't be used as a Marxist success story, as far as I can tell. And that Marxism gets credited for things for which it has no right being credited. Um, these are achievements that are happening without any sort of an overthrow, without um, a Marxist dictatorship of the proletariat, without necessarily... Um, this this strong dichotomy between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat uh, without this idea of hating the rich and assuming that people are rich because they've oppressed people. Uh, this is just something that society, our society, our Canadian society has decided it's a good idea. It's something we've elected democratically. It's something we've voted on. It's something that we've decided together that would be good to to spend our tax money that way. 
Um, and um, it's not, not to be used as a Marxist success story. All right, so I think that's going to conclude what I have to say about um, the reply to the question, that wasn't true Marxism, and what about socialist countries like Canada? Um, in the next podcast, we're going to look at a critique of Marxism. We're going to look at a biblical critique answering the question, is Marxism Christian? And then um, a social and logical critique of why doesn't it work? And then we're going to move into uh, social Marxism or neo-Marxism in the following podcasts. Um, stick with it. I think that these are important issues and that uh, as much as as it's hard, is it's heavy lifting and it's dark things to think about that we don't like thinking about, I think that these are things that um, we need to know about. And uh, it's our lives and our children's lives that and their quality of life is at stake. So uh, I hope you have a good day and uh, God bless and I'll see you next time. Hello there, I just want to add on a quick little thing. Sorry about the audio quality here. Uh, I was just listening to this in my car and I thought I'd pull over and just add one little thing. Is that um, the word I'm kind of struggling for throughout this podcast, it didn't occur to me at the time, is classical liberalism. So, you know, right now it kind of feels as though there's conservatives on the one side. On the on the left, it's like Marxism. Sometimes it feels like that. You have Trump and you have Bernie Sanders in the States. And in between is classical liberalism. And the reason that's important to say classical liberalism is because liberalism is, is being taken over right now by Marxism. And classical liberalism doesn't have any problem with capitalism. It just says, let's take care of the poor. Let's take care of, um, you know, the the, un- the unfortunate people among us. Let's, let's raise taxes so that we can redistribute wealth. And you know, historically, the liberals have tended to be more corrupt because they have higher taxes. They're using more money. Um, historically, the you know the conservatives have tended to be more big government. Uh, and this is kind of where the debate has been for many many years between you know the the conservatives don't want to change things. We're more you know on the side of big government, more on the side of more trade, less tax, less red tape. Liberals are more on the side of let's raise taxes, let's. Uh, have more social programs, let's care for the poor more. And then there's this third voice of Marxism, which says, let's just scrap the whole thing. Let's take people's money away because they're evil for being rich. Let's give it to the poor because uh, they're inherently good because they're poor. And if we could, as I was listening to this, I was thinking, it's interesting that the uh, Quebec Solidaire had said they were a democratic socialist sovereigntist party so sovereigntist means they actually want to split off and and form a new country uh, this is something that's been in the water in Quebec for a long time um, so these people want to split Quebec off make a separate state nation and make that nation a Marxist state so if these guys ever get full power I'm out of here um, this is really scary stuff. But fortunately, I don't think that they will. I think the liberals, once they get their act back together, are going to take over the next election. Um, anyways, enough about politics. I just wanted to mention that the the third voice I'm looking for is classical liberalism. So really, this debate is between, you know, your conservatives in Canada, it's conservatives in the States, it's the Republicans, classical liberals, and then there's the Marxist liberals. So I hope that's helpful as a little appendix to what I shared before.